Welcome to Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered with Perry Clark. This program looks at mental health from unique perspectives and shows you how to manage your life by finding the knots that help you and stay away from the ones that could be a disadvantage. Now, here is your host, Perry Clark. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Untying Knots. This is going to be the first of a special set of uh, podcasts we're doing for the month of June, which is Pride Month. Uh, Ideally, I should have done this for February as well, but planning caught up with me and uh, I have the luxury to put this up. So I want to start with the aspects of the disclaimer, which is the reminder that this is a podcast is for educational and um, entertainment purposes. This does not constitute a a work with a licensed mental health professional. I do recommend you see one that is in your area to work on your unique issues. Now, you may also find that my voice sounds a little off today. That's because I just got back from being at the dentist and I'm waiting for the Novocaine and all of that to finish wearing off. So that's what, if I sound a little off before. So today I'm interviewing a gentleman that I met. Oh God, I think it was probably back in 2013 or maybe 2012 or 2014 at during one of the Association of Black Psychologists conventions I was attending. And we have kept a rapport going off all throughout the years, as well as work and recognition around the work of dealing with Black mental health, especially LGBT Black mental health, and the use of the work that this individual is doing to push that further in resources, which are going to be useful for others to develop more material. So I have the honor of talking with Jonathan Lassiter, PhD. He's a polymath who utilizes psychology, writing, and dance to help others heal and thrive. His roles include licensed clinical psychologist, holistic wellness and relationship coach, professor, author, public speaker, and choreographer. As a public intellectual, Dr. Lassiter has been featured on television, radio, podcasts, and print as PBS, SiriusXM, and The Hill. Dr. Lasseter is a award-winning co-editor of Black LGBT Health in the United States and Intersection of Race, Gender, and Sexual Orientation. His book receives the, received the Gay and Lesbian Medical Association Achievement Award. It is the first and only text to focus solely on Black LGBT Americans' holistic health. He's currently working on his first sole author book that will explore contemporary issues of race and mental health in the United States. In addition, Dr. Lassiter has published numerous articles in academic journals and lay publications, presented his choreographic work in in prestigious uh, showcases in New York City, and provided psychological services to clients in medical centers across the country. Currently, Dr. Lassiter is the assistant professor of psychology at Rowan University, founder and chief psychological officer at Lassiter Health Initiative, co-host of Fly on the Wall, the YouTube, and artistic associate at the Black Acting Method Studio. Welcome, Dr. Lassiter. Thank or should I say, just say Jonathan? You just say Jonathan. We know each other. It's fine. We don't have to be so formal. But no, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be in conversation with you today. Well, thank you for coming. So as the first question, how did you get here? How did I get here? Um... I'm going to I'm going to interpret that broadly, but I must say that that question immediately immediately makes me think of Deborah Cox. How did you get here? So I'm just like, ah. <laughs> yeah, that's in my head. 
Um, mm-hmm. But anyway, how did I get here? <clears throat> That's a very good question. First, I think about where is here? And, mm-hmm. <laughs> and for me here in this moment, I am in a good place. I'm in a good place right now. I, If you would have talked to me two months ago, I was tired. I was burned out. But early January, I had a really good vacation. <laughs> and so now I'm all rejuvenated and I am back energized and ready to go. And so I'm in a good place. How did I get here? I got here through rest. Mm. I got here through rest. <clears throat> Which is for many is considered a controversial controversial issue uh given our history in this country Mm. and our the perception of who we are even worldwide Mm. Mm. say more about that what do you mean well put it this way there isn't as we know in this country the issue of the idea of the lazy black person true 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 true. and that we're not necessarily willing to work but, but as classically has been said, there, the issue became when we weren't willing to work for free anymore. Mm-hmm. And then two, what would be said about how uh, we are evolving ourselves worldwide, depending on where we are in the diaspora, which is, again, still an aspect of how much are we still climbing out of everything that happened with that caused the diaspora, let alone the effects on our ancestral homelands across the continent. So for us to rest is something that some would say is like, you're supposed to be working all the time. Ah, yeah. And I think that's part of the trap, isn't it? Mm-hmm. That's part of the trap that we as black people, you know, I'm thinking about um, Dr. Kobe Combone's work around cultural misorientation. I think that's a cultural misorientation because if we think about Um, pre-colonial Afrocentric values and our conceptualizations of time, we don't think of time in this linear sense. And and really it was structured around our activities, our rituals, but those things had an ending. Mm -hmm. There was a time to rest, there was a time to work, there was a time to celebrate, there was a time to to plan. Mm -hmm. So, So this sort of constant work mode is not indigenous to who we are as black people, and it does not serve us or anyone in society, regardless of racial background. But it, but I think as black people in this effort to prove and to serve, uh, I, I should say to prove ourselves to others, we have uh, drank the Kool-Aid in a mm-hmm. lot of senses. And so it's a process of unlearning, and I myself, have been consciously unlearning. I was talking to a friend earlier today and I used to uh, pressure myself when I was mm-hmm. tired. Oh, you should be doing, especially going through graduate school, you should be studying, you should be doing this. Mm-hmm. And now when I'm tired, I no longer try to necessarily figure out why I'm tired. I just sit my behind down. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Because I know I deserve that. Mm-hmm. I deserve to be able to sit down because guess what? Our ancestors didn't have the choice. Mm-hmm. If they sat down, there goes the whip. Mm-hmm. Right? If they sat down, you know, they could be fired and that was their only way of making any sort of um, livelihood for themselves and their families. And we have some people, depending on the level of autonomy that people have in their job, who mm-hmm. still feel that very real pressure. <clears throat> 
Mm-hmm. However, I'm at a place, uh, thank God, thank the ancestors, where I, if I'm tired, I can sit down. And so I do. And so that's where I say, how did I get here today? Rest. I, mm. I listened to my body and I sat my behind down. <laughs> beautiful. <laughs> Very beautiful. So as we've talked and just to talk about what the general aspects of our culture has been dealing with. Now let's talk, especially what's going on for this month that this is going to be heard for. How has LGBT fit into that equation as well or not? Oh, yeah, definitely. I, it definitely fits into that equation. You know, I am, I identify as a Black, same gender loving man. Mm-hmm. And I'm very intentional about the term same gender loving uh, as opposed to gay. Mm-hmm. Um, that is not to say that, you know, I have any particular critique of how others choose to identify. But for me, same gender loving is specific in tying it to black culture mm-hmm. and into tying it to its Afrocentric roots because that word gay as we know it today did not exist pre-colonial Africa. Mm-hmm. Same sex attractions did, of course. Mm-hmm. Right? Same sex behaviors did, of course. Uh, but that word did not exist. And so for me, same gender loving is the way that I think about Again, this uh, this uh, the particularity of who I am and my identity, and as Cleo Monago, who coined the term, talks about, is this this um, focus on the loving aspect because too often in popular imagination, the gay, the LGBT, can uh, it can get tied up in a fo- in a hyper focus on the genitals. Mm-hmm. I mean, even when we look at research, I was trained as an uh, HIV prevention scientist researcher. Most of the research in that area is about what, how using condoms and breath, right? Mm-hmm. HIV prevention. And so that loving is intentional. It's an intentional uh, reclamation of the core of who I am as a black man who is attracted to other men, mm-hmm. right? And so when we talk about culture, we talk about rest and and where the lgbtq comes in and intersects with the black it's all there together and Mm -hmm. lgbtq people black lgbtq people have that double whammy of not only having this uh pressure to uh be a certain way because you're trying to get away from the stereotypes of blackness but some of us have internalized a message that because we are LGBTQ or same gender loving, that we are somehow flawed or 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 not good enough or or uh, or damaged in some way, and therefore our work becomes a way of compensating. Mm-hmm. And so then that drives that drives our overwork and our and our use of work to prove something to someone else instead of work as a way to fulfill a purpose mm-hmm. a, a a a spirit given purpose instead of work as a way to unify us with our spiritual mission in life mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is a different thing mm-hmm. and it's not a context that would have fit nicely and colonialism no 
especially when the idea is, yeah, our sense of freedom. Mm -hmm. And I think this also ties in into a degree to what you talk about with Dr. Natalie Jones on her podcast, talking about narcissism in the LGBT and the same gender loving spectrum as well, which I do recommend folks who are interested, go listen to that. I'll try to put a link in the, uh, in the show notes if possible, but that standpoint of just how much even that maladaptiveness has become sort of a normalized beyond just what you're mentioning. Yeah, it definitely, again, I, when I, First off, shout out to Dr. Natalie Jones. We went to graduate school together. I, I love her. Uh, I re- if I remember back, because it was a while ago, mm-hmm. but so many people referenced that that talk, which um, I'm always surprised about. I'm happy so many people can get a lot out of it. But when I think back to that talk, I believe that I was trying to highlight the ways in which narcissism becomes in in some ways adaptive mm-hmm. for black uh lgbtq people i think mm-hmm. about black lgbtq yeah. men black uh gay and bisexual men in particular in that podcast but it becomes adaptive in this because they're trying to prove something because they must be the best because they have to prove their worth so look at me the spotlight because they're has not been a bi-directional intimacy mm-hmm. that when someone does show them some sort of attention, there's this uh, sort of knee-jerk reaction to hoard that because when will I get it again? Mm-hmm. And to sort of take up all the space and suck all the, the oxygen out of room due to some sort of sense of innate deprivation. Mm-hmm because of the messages of society that mm-hmm. has communicated something's wrong. Mm-hmm. No, because uh, I know I often say the uh, bad bitch mentality is nice in moments, but it's not a good long-term life strategy. It is so not the, the no. and it's also, you love it as long as it's being directed at something else outside of you. Mm-hmm. You don't love it when it's directed at you. Mm-hmm. So and people don't know how to turn that off. Mm-hmm. You don't know how to turn it off, and you can't have intimate relate. You can't have an intimate, vulnerable relationship with a bad bitch. Mm-hmm. A bad bitch is boss. A bad bitch is running things, mm-hmm. and that can be great professionally, but it's going to wreak havoc on your interpersonal relationships. Very much so, mm-hmm. and the, depending on the and the, the variety of relationships you have to have. Mm-hmm. Because it's not just that standpoint of, like you said, being the boss. It's how do you also be the coast, um, the co- the fellow? How do you be prepared to be equals? Sorry, I'm still stumbling over some words there. Um, to be an equal, to be to be a parent, be a child. Because a parent does not also always have to be about the power. Mm-hmm. It can be about the mentoring, right? And the supportive role. Mm-hmm. How 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 can you be a support, right? The bad bitch needs to be in the spotlight. Mm-hmm. But, the bad, but a child, a partner, needs someone to be on the side of them. Mm-hmm. You know who you talk to, maybe some people might say behind, but definitely on to be in this thing with them, not above them. Mm-hmm. Right? Very much so. Very much so. So I'm going to throw this segue in here. You've mentioned a lot of the work that you have, you've mentioned a number of names that have done in research and 
I'm kind of curious for, again, for both the educational purposes for people who might be thinking about this as a future, but also understand the importance of the work you do. How does research play into this? Yeah, I, I, research is essential. And, hmm. I, and I want to say research broadly defined mm -hmm. because I, I am currently, uh, as you said, assistant professor at Rowan University. I am a, I identify as a health inequities researcher, understanding I'm trying to understand why we see uh, the differences in health, typically poor, more um, negative health outcomes for black people, black um, LGBTQ, same gender loving people than we see for their black heterosexual and their white LGBTQ counterparts. Mm -hmm. so that's where my research focused. But since 2014, when I met you actually at the Association <laughs> of Black Psychologists, that was really a turning point for me in terms of research and really my identity as a psychologist. Mm -hmm. Then I was in my last year of, um, of my a doctoral program. I was actually on internship at the Indianapolis VA and the, the, the convention was in Indianapolis that year. But I did a presentation. I did a research presentation at that conference around, I was describing, I did a national study with black same gender loving men and I was looking at their religious and spiritual uh, participation and beliefs. And I was presenting on some findings from that research and mm -hmm. guess who was in the back? Dr. Wade Nobles was in the back of my talk. And during the Q and A, he said to me, what makes this black psychology? And mm -hmm. at that time, you know, I, I was like, what do you mean it's, black? it's about black people? <laughs> what do you mean by <laughs> right. black psychology? And he said, well, you know, black psychology is a thing, you know, it's not just about, you know, your sample is you're studying black people, but it's, it's a thing. It's a discipline. People have come before you. Scholars have done this work and long story short, at the time I was like, I don't know what you mean, but uh, you know, of course I was a little, as my father would say, butt hurt, you know, I was a little hurt. Mm -hmm. my, you know, felt a little attacked, but then I said, no, let me let me go and figure out what black psychology is. Mm -hmm. And I did, and I did, and as you see this shelf back here, but these are a seminal text mm -hmm. by black psychologists. And just remember, this is an audio <laughs> podcast. Oh yes, that's right. <laughs> so behind me, folks, are is a bookshelf mm -hmm. <laughs> with uh, with uh, a bunch of books that are by pioneering. Black psychologists, more in a radical school of thought. So people who were trying to completely emancipate their work from uh, white people's psychology, simply. Mm -hmm. um, and I went and I did that work. And so now I can say my work really is rooted in black psychology and that I'm much, I'm very much interested in how people understand themselves as spiritual beings mm -hmm. and how we go about under, not only understanding ourselves in that way, but thriving as spiritual beings and how that permeates our physical lives, our relationships, et cetera. So mm -hmm. to get back to your question about research, research is required. It is required. It is required for us to find true liberation. Mm -hmm. I was listening to Nicole Hannah-Jones recently talk about the 1619 Project and there's so many great things about the 1619 project but my main critique of it is that it locates 
the origin story of Black people and trauma. Mm -hmm. And Black people existed long before 1619. Mm -hmm. And I believe, I personally believe, and this comes out of my research, this comes out of my clinical practice, that if Black people are to heal, we must move beyond reacting to trauma from chattel slavery and even contemporary oppression and violence that we experience and reclaim those pre-colonial values and ways of being and that connection with our spirit. So that is the role that research and education plays because I must first understand that there is a heritage that predates 1619 Mm -hmm. that I can draw upon. But the only way I understand that is if I go and do that work and do that research. And one of those steps is also honoring our need to rest. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Very much so. Now, with what you've talked about with the books and this process and the aspect of uh, being steward in trauma, your book, the Black, uh, that you're one of the co-authors of, the Black LGBT health History, or Health in the United States, Intersection of Race and Gender and sex, Sexual Orientation, also is the only one so far as we, at the time that it was published, talking about Black same-gender relationships. So why is there such a lack of research in that area as well? I'm smiling. Um, I'm smiling because I'm sure the answer is obvious to you and you're asking for your audience, right? Mm -hmm. so I'm smiling because I'm like, you know, the, the reason why is because it is the people who have made their careers studying Black LGBTQ folks, mm -hmm. nine times out of 10 are not from that community. Mm -hmm. They are white heterosexual nine times out of ten white heteros oh, excuse me white gay men mm -hmm. white gay men who are uh writing million dollar grants to the nih and and having them funded mm -hmm. and conducting large national studies and they include you know four eleven percent if you're lucky some include an entirely black um lgbtq same gender loving sample but those stories, the topics that they're choosing to focus on are based from their cultural worldview. Mm -hmm. And it's gets focused on the genitals as well. Overwhelmingly focused on genitals, HIV prevention. Pretty much mm -hmm. NIH only wants to fund HIV prevention when it comes mm -hmm. to uh, LGBTQ people, especially black, uh, gay, bisexual, same gender loving men and black trans women. Mm -hmm. And so when you say, why isn't that work there? One, because it's not profitable from an NIH standpoint, not, not, not looking holistically. Um, two, as I said, most of the people who have access to the sort of academic spheres are not black LGBTQ people. And that's for a lot of different reasons. Mm -hmm. And so my my co-editor dr lord Spallins, and i were very intentional when we said we want this book to be for us by us and we wanted to not only focus on the genital sexual risk hiv prevention we wanted to not only focus on the risk what's going wrong but we 
want to share the story of what's going well in our communities. We mm -hmm. want to share the stories of how we help each other thrive in our communities. Because quite frankly, that's the life we live. Yes, mm -hmm. there are challenges. Yes, we see pain and suffering, but we also see joy. Mm -hmm. Which is very much getting to the aspect of trying to look at therapy and mental health from a strengths perspective, as opposed to always the weakness, the pathology, which so much of, let's be frank, so much of therapy and mental health has been based off of because it's built out of the medical model. Yep. And when I say medical model, I'm talking about biological science, the repairing of bones, the repairing of muscle tissue, all of which, which every person on this world is capable functions in that same way will knit itself together. Mm -hmm. But our mental health, on the other hand, is a much broader spectrum. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Oh. And how did you two guys come together to make this book beyond the aspect of creating material that was for us, by us? Yeah. Uh yeah, so Dr. Uh, Lord Spilins and I met each other in 2011. I was had fi had just finished up all of my coursework in graduate school because I went to I did my PhD out at California School of Professional Psychology in San Francisco, and it took three years to to finish all the in classroom work, mm -hmm. and then I had to finish my dissertation and my internship. And before going on internship, I was working on my dissertation, but I was like, I can do that anywhere. Mm -hmm. uh, and that entire time I had been in a long distance relationship. And so I was like, I'm going to move back to New York because that's where my boyfriend was. And so, um, but before I moved back to New York, I decided to do this conference. Uh, this called the uh, Research Training Intensive that the American Psychological Association had. It was around research methods with racial and ethnic diverse groups. Mm -hmm. So I decided to do that on that sort of, on my way East. And Dr. Lord Spollins was there and she immediately made it an impression on me. She seemed to be someone that knew her stuff. And if you was going to open up your mouth in front of her, you best become correct. Right? And so, so I was like very impressed. And so we struck up, a, uh, a a friendship and then when I found myself in New York she was based in New York and she was a professor at that time um, at Kingsborough College and so I remember asking her to look at my CV because I was looking for jobs and while I was working on my dissertation and, um, and then a few months after that meeting in New York, she said, oh, um, she sent out an email to me and a few other people were on it. You know, uh, these publishers approached me about a book and wondering if anyone's interested. And I immediately was like, yes, I'm interested. You know? <laughs> and so, <laughs> because I knew I had always wanted to do a book anyway. Mm -hmm. And so I said, yes, I'm interested. And so we did it. Um, long story short, I was probably, <laughs> maybe the only one that had time maybe because i was a postdoc and i wasn't as busy as the other like real professionals at that point right so here i was this young eager postdoctoral student who was like let's go and so mm -hmm. um we linked up and we did it and it has it it has legs people reference that to this day and it's it opens a lot of doors 
for both uh, she and I so that we can um, use it as a platform to talk about the very real important issues to our communities. Yep, I have a copy of it. I mean, I haven't had a chance to read it, but then again, I bought it in a large stack of other books for uh, on some on the similar subject. So it's like, okay, I got it there, and trying to run a business at the same time and read like I understand trying to find my rest in there so I can absorb it properly. I think that's a perfect place for us to take a break. So come back in here and hear our second half here on Untying Knots. I'm Barry Clark, licensed marriage and family therapist here with Dr. Jonathan Lester. Our lives and the world around us can get messy and frustrating. Untangle and Grow Counseling's focus is to untangle that mess and make sense of it so you have a good foundation to build and grow from. Visit us on the web at untangleandgrowcounseling.com. Perry Clark offers individual psychotherapy, couples and family therapy, and adolescence therapy from a variety of coping materials and resources. Visit untangleandgrowcounseling.com for more information. You are listening to Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. If you have a question or comment about our podcast, send an email to pclark at untyingknotspodcast.com. That's pclark at untyingknotspodcast.com. And now, back to the program. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. This is Perry Clark, my licensed marriage and family therapist, here with Dr. Jonathan Lester on Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. So, in the break, we were just catching up a bit, and we're going to just go ahead and go get into our myth and reality question, as opposed to saving for the end, because I think there's some very good points that build on that. And what do you feel is a myth and uh, reality when it comes to mental health, and especially LGBT and same gender loving mental health in BIPOC communities? Yeah, so I... I, I... One of the things that I think is that mental health and healing in particular, because mental health is broad, but healing is something very specific. Mm-hmm. Self-care, anyone can do, right? We all should be taking steps towards our self-care. But healing is requires an intentionality. It requires a, a type of sustained reflection. Mm-hmm. that I do not think is appreciated enough in the mainstream. And, and when I say mainstream, I'm including mainstream Black, LGBTQ, same gender-loving spaces. If you look at Instagram, everyone's a mental health advocate. Everyone, mm-hmm. you know, got, got, you know, looking into the camera saying, you have value, you have worth, you know? And again, these things are important, but it, in a way, as a psychologist, I see those things and I'm like, it trivializes the actual mm-hmm. work of healing. Mm-hmm. That healing is, healing, the myth is that healing is easy. Mm-hmm. Right? That if I do this, if I read this book, if I listen to this affirmation, if I listen to this person talk about attracting things to me, then that will be enough. Those things are part of it, and I don't want to disparage those things. Mm-hmm. I, I see healing, you know, all hands on deck, of course. Mm-hmm. But an essential component 
And and again, I admit I may be biased as a as a as a therapist, as a psychologist, right? I may be biased. But to me, an essential component is that sustained deep reflection. The introspection. No Say again? The introspection. Right. That no amount of affirmations, no no amount of 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 attraction, <laughs> no law of attraction, meditating, no amount of vision boards, it's mm-hmm. going to help you get. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, and for me, sometimes I wonder about people being distracted from true healing because they are performing what they see as the sort of pop culture version of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And how do you think that shows up much more for the uh, LGBTQ and same gendering, lovering community? Mm-hmm. Definitely. I mean, I was watching something the other day. I mean, because you know everyone's doing like these little um, Instagram reels, oh, and, you know, and the TikToks, yeah, and TikToks, and and you know they're pointing things and stuff. And mm-hmm. again, no shade to any of that, but it is. But it's like then you go and you look at the people who are doing them and they're talking about mental health and I'm like, what, what's your expertise, right? What, where's your, what, where's your, what qualifies you, mm-hmm. right? And again, not to say that we don't all have a mental health story. We do. Mm-hmm. And if mm-hmm. you want to share your mental health story, go right ahead. But there's a difference between I was depressed and this is how I started to feel better and someone that can actually help you figure out the ins and outs and how to mm-hmm. get to that deep place of mm-hmm. you. And I think sometimes we devalue that real work that that is slow going, that it does require commitment for those sort of bright, shiny voices with the followers that I'm mm-hmm. talking about, here's my mental health story. Yeah. Those are the moments that don't, shall we say, make good camera roll moments. Exactly. And exactly. there's so much of that that has to be done. I mean, it, yeah, it may not be pretty. It may seriously be painful in its own way. Exactly. And exactly. that's not something that people think about. As I was saying to a uh, potential client, a client's spouse last week, the week before um good therapy works because the person wants to change not because there's an expectation from outside mm-hmm. to change but i mean really if their life if their if their world is still serving them something that gives them a value to keep this maladaptive behavior going on this uh destructive behavior going on guess what they're going to keep going they haven't found that there's a reason that it's no longer being damaging to them and we see this in our communities with the drug use the uh maybe even the issues of how we handle money uh not to mention the relation bad relationships so this performative this performative well-being right and mm-hmm. part of that is like i'm fabulous right mm-hmm. look at me i'm so out there with my gender expression and my sexual orientation right i'm so and again there's nothing wrong with being proud of who you are i want to be very clear about that mm-hmm. and there's also performance as distraction mm-hmm. 
And that is a distinct nuance. And I don't think a lot of people understand that. And my concern, again, as a psychologist, is that there are going to be LGBTQ, same gender loving Black people who don't necessarily have the role models of what the actual work looks like or, or how to be healthy. And then they're going to see what is more accessible, what is given more time, you know, these folks with mm -hmm. the and whatnot. And they're going to think, well, I just have to be fabulous and then I'll feel better. You or, know? or going back to the part where we spoke about in the first half, the bad bitch icon. Exactly. As long as I'm a bad bitch, you know, as long as I stay in formation, as long as I'm slaying, Mm -hmm. and, and I'm fine, you know, um, then that, if I can meet that standard, then I'm good enough. If mm -hmm. I can meet that standard, then, you know, um, then, you know, my self-care game would be on fleek, you know, or mm -hmm. I don't know if say fleek, <laughs> but, but you, but you take my point. You take yeah. my point. Very and, much so. And, and as you said, true healing, real healing, nine times out of 10, there's pain involved and you're and and you're going to feel worse before you feel better because you because it requires you to wade into the pain mm -hmm. and not just wade there dip your toe in and 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 okay i get it now and move on no but to stay there mm -hmm. for a little bit to really understand let yourself feel the texture of it tread the water for a while tread the water for a while that's what real healing looks like and i think that particularly with our communities that don't have access or may not have had uh images and and role models of what that looks like we are grasping at those sort of shiny objects but oftentimes those shiny objects are leading us astray because they they themselves don't have the expertise and the qualifications to be giving out the information that's required again for true healing. Yes, we can get something out of people sharing a mental health story. Yes, we can get something out of people telling us about self-care strategies, but self-care and mental health stories and mental health advocacy is different from healing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So true. And as you talked about this shiny, there's a part of me that I, I hate to say it, or at least put it in this context. There's a part of me that was thinking about, oh, here's the colonizer who walked up out of the ocean with the shiny to our ancestors mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and took advantage of that. Yeah, took advantage of it. And that's the piece. I, my concern is how many Black, LGBTQ, same gender love people are being taken advantage of. Mm -hmm. And then a lot of times too, I mean, I mean, we have to be very honest. We live in a capitalistic society where it's about how many clicks you get on a video, mm -hmm. right? And not necessarily about a genuine concern for people's mm -hmm. mental well-being. Mm -hmm. But mental health is popular now. Right, and... So, God, to be frank, it's also in many ways under assault by capitalism. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. Because because capitalists are coming to that content, figuring out try, figuring out how to try, how to monetize it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Very much so. And it's meaning that the real work isn't going to get in there. Mm-hmm. I, 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 being a, that, uh, a very much a person of sci-fi and a fantasy origins and such, um, it, with everything that's happening with this aspect of the monetizing of mental health, my mind immediately jumps back to two different movies. One that was recently came out within the last five years. Another one that's a classic, which is um, Spielberg's TH1138, mm-hmm. which in that one, there's at least two different occasions where the main character, who is white, played by Robert Duvall, uh, is having mental health and spiritual crises. And when he goes to the chapel, and I say that with air quotes, and goes to the mental health person, and I put that in uh, uh, air quotes, it's a picture of Jesus that is on a tape that just continues to spill the one spills the propaganda about the power of their economic rates, and another one does the I don't understand. Can you tell me more about this? And there comes a moment where in that movie where the tape rewinds and starts over. Mm, wow. Yeah. And he feels his faith falling away. The other was the one that was about within the last five years was the um, Brad Pitt at Astia. Oh, I, I haven't seen that one. Not going to give any spoilers, but the reason the thing that I bring this up is the standpoint that throughout that entire movie, uh-huh. any type of moment about dealing with mental health is computerized. Uh, wow. Yeah. And Brad Pitt's character has figured out how to fool the computer to put himself in these situations, which normally we, when we're accounting for these things, there would be more clues or be more ideally more structural supports there. But again, I'm not going to give away the movie, but literally any time there is a moment where we're talking about uh, mental health relationships and so forth, it's either being fed to a computer to say that you're okay to keep going to the movie or on, on not movie on, on the mission, or here's the antidepressant you should be taking. Yeah. Yeah. Antidepressants themselves, it's, it's a feeds into capitalism, right? Again, mm-hmm. not to say, that they aren't legitimately needed and should be taken mm-hmm. and, uh, by some folks, not to say that they can't do a world of good because they can. So I'm going to be clear about that. And sometimes they are prescribed as a Band-Aid to keep you functional, to be a mm-hmm. cop in this capitalist system mm-hmm. that we find ourselves in. Right? But not actually address the wound. Exactly. Which is the system itself mm-hmm. a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So don't look at the system take this pill so that you can keep functioning. Just, mm-hmm. And the system's never going to change, though. Mm-hmm. The thing actually making you sick, it's not going to change. It reminds me of the humanistic psychologist, I forget exactly which one said this, who were talking about how um, sick people come from sick societies. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So it's that sort of thing. But you, you talking about the, the computerized version of mental health makes me think about how the big buzz now, even in the mental health uh, domain, is uh, the apps. Oh, yes. The mental health apps, right? Um, and so what does that mean? And I, I, I'll be honest, I'll be upfront. Before I started my private practice, I, I was primarily was in academia after my postdoc, but then I was like, I want to get back into the clinical 
to clinical work. And so before I started, you know, uh, my private practice, I was working for one of these app-based therapy places. And it was good for me to, you know, stick my toe back in and ease back in. But the reason why I eventually left because I realized that I could only get to a certain point. Right. Yep. And again, it's not to say that there is no merit. I mean, for especially for people who are uh, therapy naive, never been to therapy, it could be a good uh, uh, starter point. Starting point. Yes. Good starting point. But it's also very limited and it is, again, does not get at that healing mm-hmm. that people need. But but all the rage is about who could create the best therapy app, how many investors we can, what's our market cap, the IPO, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. Mm-hmm. The, the ways in which capitalism is very, as you said, targeting psychotherapy now. And mm-hmm. 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 and equally, um, the fact that they, they know these things can function without us, the therapists. <laughs> Which is uh, laughable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> laughable. Because that, and again, and, and again, going back to Afrocentric Black psychology in particular, that's what Black psychologists understand, right? When we talk about the spirit and illumination of the human spirit, what the human, what the spirit, it's not just about here's a cognitive exercise, here's a thought exercise you can go to mm-hmm. do. To, to replace your depressive thought with a more neutral thought. No, but it's about the energy between two humans, two physical manifestations of spirit. Mm-hmm. And no no technology will ever be able to replicate that. Or pill. Or pill. And it takes on its own unique energy when dealing with LGBTQ and same gender and loving, that is not going to be, again, mainstreamed. Oh, oh definitely. I mean, and, and especially with Black LGBTQ people, be, because we're often assaulted from so many sides. We're assaulted uh, by racism from white LGBTQ people. We're assaulted by homonegativity and transphobia from, from Black heterosexual communities that in that therapeutic space, it becomes so precious. It, uh, a therapist uh, like you and I are rare. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, what's, what's the statistic that the American Psychological Association put out? I think 2% of psychologists are black or something like that. And then when you go to uh, black LGBTQ, second gender level people, you bet it's less than 0.1%, right? Mm-hmm. But And even probably even smaller when you also throw in the aspect of men. Yes, oh, 100%. Right? Yeah. Yeah, we're probably adding a couple of decimal points in there. Uh, right. Point zero 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 something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I bring up those statistics of, in the demographics of psychologists because research has shown that people want therapists, providers that, that they can identify when they believe it's going to get them. And nine times out of ten, that's people who they perceive to have a similar background or understanding of the background that they mm-hmm. come from. And so if we're talking about black LGBTQ people, then who can they feel comfortable with? Who's trained to deal with their particular experiences? Mm-hmm. So, and cultural humility becomes even much more, so much more important. And mm-hmm. the truth of the matter is that even in 2022, 
one, we're doing a very poor job of training up and coming therapists in that regard. And two, we're doing a very poor job in training the next generations of therapists from those communities. We're mm -hmm. doing a poor job of attracting them to the field. We're doing a poor job of helping them feel welcomed in the field. And we're doing a poor job of helping them transition from students to professionals in the field. And mm -hmm. so it is, it, it, we're, as a, as a discipline, we're doing a very poor job in general, and therefore we are not serving the communities that really need it because we do have unique issues. Here, here. I couldn't have said it any better. So, so let that sink in, folks. Just let that sink in. And that's also the race behind my first question to you is like, how did you get here? Mm -hmm. Because we do need more of us in the field doing this and doing it also for the right reasons because mm -hmm. fundamentally we all healed too but that's part of this continue aspect of anyone who hears this and you want to share it with somebody else who would might be a very good person for this this is why we're here mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. this is why we want you to consider this field and why we want to why the variety of the first question is how did you get here because you can see none of us started this path specifically going for it mm -hmm. some of the ones that uh just prior to this with dr langford and dr uh, and uh crystal Blanton, yeah it was a family calling but if you listen to many of my others not all of us started there yeah no i definitely did not start um i, I definitely don't have anyone in my family that sort of i can look to for this mm -hmm. particular path i am first generation college student first person in my family to become a doctor um, and for me, though, it did start in childhood in that simply I did not understand the logic of my parents. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and bless them and I love them. And it does, again, not to disparage them because I would not be who I am without them. And quite frankly, I like who I am. So, so kudos to them. Mm -hmm. um, but I also remember feeling like my parents are always, you know, arguing or, or complaining about this thing or that, but didn't they know that was going to happen? Like, why, did, why are they <laughs> upset about something they knew was going to happen, right? And then couple that with my own journey of feeling mm. like something was wrong with me because, not just because I am same gender loving, but also because of I wasn't I got the message that I wasn't doing male correctly. Mm -hmm. um, so it was much more of a gender thing. Like you know you should be tough, you shouldn't cry, you shouldn't do this. This emotional stoicism that just was not in me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but my father would wanted to press upon me. Um, he was not successful, and and um, you know to. Uh, the gain of myself and everyone else. I'm glad mm -hmm. that's what he tried. And also because I was born with sickle cell anemia. Um, and so my mental health was also um, central or put, put up under the spotlight because of the sort of existential questions mm. I was asking myself as a very sick child. So all those things sort of led me down the path of psychology and trying to understand humans mm -hmm. and again as I, as i got to my understanding and my education and my research of black psychology understand that it's, it goes beyond just understanding what's in the brain and 
logic, but also understanding the spirit. Mm-hmm. And so, and so that's that's how I got here. It was trying to trying to not only understand the people around me, but trying to understand myself and trying to understand that spiritual connection with with God. And now I recognize my ancestors, but as a kid, it was God. I was raised in a Christian tradition. Uh, and trying to understand, trying to understand that as well, and how to make sense of that, and how to use that to again get to hold on to the purpose in the midst of quite literally at times being on the verge of death. Hmm. Preach, just preach. Yeah. <laughs> well, I am Jonathan. I think that is also a place where we're going to go and in for today. Because, uh, again, that's stuff I want people to soak in and think about as we go forward. And we need more of you out here as well. So well, we're going to... Oh, I just want to say thank you so much for having me and allowing me to share and just talk and, and be in conversation and pulling this out of me with those questions. Um, because we do need to have these conversations. And people that look like us and with our backgrounds need to be having these conversations for the people that are coming up now will come up exactly so where can folks find you if they want to talk with you more and get fun maybe give you some more ideas for uh the uh books too because once we get off here there's an idea i want to put in your ear if i can oh yes i love it i'm always looking for new ideas mm-hmm. um, so you can get in touch with me um on my website mm-hmm. lasseter.com my first name my middle initial m my last name, Lassiter, Jonathan M. Lassiter.com. People can also get in touch with me at um, on Twitter. I'm on Instagram, too, at both places. Mm-hmm. Twitter, I'm a little bit more active. So Twitter and Instagram at Lassiter Health. Lassiter Health, all one word. And yeah, those are the best ways to get in touch with me. And I'm always happy to reach out. I also do a podcast. We have two seasons up right now. It's a visual podcast on YouTube uh, called Fly on the Wall. It's with um, one of my really good friends, Marquita Moten, who is a licensed professional counselor. And um, we go back to college days. But she's also very much uh, spiritually oriented in her mental health practice she identifies as a bruja so she is also bringing that aspect into the work and she and i are having conversations um you know just about mental wellness for black people and and again understanding that spiritual wellness is a core part of that so we're discussing all those things so you can find us on youtube at um just go uh go to youtube and search fly on the wall so that's where people can find me Oh, definitely. I'm going to have to catch up on this, some of those episodes and who knows, maybe I can come on there and have a, we can have a three-way. Hey, listen, I would love that. We, we met about, we're getting ready to do the third season, start filming next month. And then we met about what we want to do. So yeah, let, we, we'll make it happen. Perfect. All righty. Well, Jonathan, thank you again for being here. This is Perry Clark. I'm licensed marriage and family therapist, finishing up with Jonathan Lester, PhD. On untying knots, minds and souls untethered. So tune in next time, and we are going breaking our usual schedule for this month for Pride Month. So you're getting another uh, podcast next week as well. And stay tuned here on the Voice America Network.
Thank you for tuning in for Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. Be sure to join your host, Perry Clark, for another episode on the podcast coming soon on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. 